On November 14, 1983, British synth-pop duo Eurythmics released their third studio album, Touch. Annie Lennox looked like a gender-bending robot zombie, but sang with soul. Meanwhile, Dave Stewart masterminded the sound and synthesizers. Together, they made divine synth-pop, including the hits Who's That Girl and Here Comes the Rain Again. Welcome to the 500 Albums Podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 list of greatest albums of all time, as selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, and published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Urban, and today we are looking at number 492 on the list, Touch by Eurythmics. Welcome today to yet another great album on this list. Of course, I knew about Eurythmics as uh, I'm from Europe and Eurythmics is a very big band here. And even though I knew the song Here Comes the Rain Again and I knew of the song Sweet Dreams, of course, um, I was not aware of some of the other music they have made, even though they scored a lot of hits during the 80s. Uh, I will say I'm not the biggest fan of synth pop, but it was great to see how it came to be and to see what kind of influence they have had of other music of today. It's also great to see their position in activism and charities that they have supported. And it's just great to know the story behind the artist. So, let's look into that. Eurythmics were a British synth-pop duo from London, England. And the duo consists of Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart. And they formed in 1980, after their previous band broke up. Lennox and Stewart actually met each other at a restaurant in 1975. And Lennox was working there as a waitress while she was studying at the Royal Academy of Music. And Stewart had just split from his band Long Dancer and was now writing new songs and recruiting members, together with his old bandmate, Pete Coombs. Them as a trio formed the group The Catch, and they released a double single in some European countries with little to no success. The band eventually recruited a bass player, Andy Chin, and a drummer, Jim Toomey, and they renamed themselves The Tourists. This band played pretty straightforward pop rock music, and they recorded three studio albums together, and of course a few singles. And this includes a top 10 hit, so good to be back home again. And also a Dusty Springfield cover, I Only Want to Be With You. Even though they were successful, the band eventually split up, with Coombs and Chin forming the group Acid Drops, and Lennox and Stewart forming Eurythmics together. And as a duo, Eurythmics used more electronic elements into their music, creating a very iconic, unique, and typical synth-pop sound. Eurythmics as a group has been active throughout most of the 80s, seeing most of their success earlier in the decade. After that, in the 90s, they went on an extended hiatus, both pursuing solo careers and eventually reuniting for several recordings and tours. 
The duo's musical style has been influenced by different artists throughout their career. Starting out, they pulled influences from John Fox, Joy Division, and David Bowie, who kind of introduced the electronic sound in the English popular music when he returned from Berlin. Later in their career, Eurythmics pulled more influences from R&B artists, and they also worked together with some of those like Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin. Eurythmics is also not recognized just for their music, but also their stage attire and performance, and also how they portrayed themselves in the media and music videos, and also drawing another comparison to David Bowie. Annie Lennox became an icon for the LGBTQ community with her powerful androgynous looks. Eurythmics has released eight studio albums, a live album, and a soundtrack album. They have been awarded several times, including a Grammy for Best Rock Performance by a duo or group with vocals. As I said in the introduction, the individual members have also been involved with a lot of charitable work and activism, most notably campaigns against HIV and AIDS, but also environmental work and activism for women's rights. So if we look at the time when the group started, Stewart and Lennox felt that they could not explore the musical avenues they wanted to in the lineup with their band The Tourists. They wanted to create pop music but experiment with electronic elements. And when they were in Australia, they eventually decided to continue as just a duo. And Dave Stewart explained this later in an interview. Quote, We were in an hotel late at night with a little portable mini synthesizer and playing around. We were interested in doing something just the two of us. That's where Annie and I decided to become a duo. It was in a place called Wagga Wagga. End quote. The duo was signed to RCA Records, and they went to Cologne, Germany to record their very first album with Connie Plank. And in October 1981, they released this debut album, In The Garden. It was just released in Europe, and it featured a few guest musicians, such as Kans Holger Tsuke and Jaki Liebezeit. But it also featured Clem Burke, who is of course the drummer of the band Blondie. This debut album mixed different styles but did not become a great commercial success. But its debut single, Never Gonna Cry Again, reached the UK singles chart, but did not manage to bring a lot of success in there. And after the release of the album, it was up to the duo to actually perform, just the two of them. As they were used to playing with a band, they now had to play along with some backing tracks and electronics. And they did this throughout Europe. And in 1982, the duo retreated again to London. And they were able to establish a small studio to cheaply record new music. And in this year, in 1982, they released three singles. But none of them performed well in the UK. And the lack of commercial success and the physical demands of touring without any supporting crew took a toll on the duo. Nonetheless, Eurythmics continued, and they decided to record more tracks. And at the point when they had enough, they decided to release their second studio album. 
and this one was released in January of 1983. And it was accompanied with a very successful lead single. You've probably heard this song before. became a commercial breakthrough for the group, both in Europe and the United States. And the songs and album's popularity was very much catalyzed by the accompanying music video, which is memorable for any Lennox gender-bending imagery, something that she got very known for. And this imagery I just talked about did not come out of nowhere. The 1980s in Britain were characterized by Margaret Thatcher's governments and economic liberalist policies. And even though that during this time homosexuality was decriminalized in the United Kingdom, it was still looked down upon by a lot of people. And more and more negative sentiments grew towards mostly gay and bisexual men due to the HIV and AIDS cases in the country and the stigmatization of LGBT people worsened. And it correlated with higher level of sexual prejudices such as homophobic and transphobic attitudes. But on the other hand, a counter movement evolved and there were people supporting LGBT communities and were raising awareness on the illness of HIV and AIDS. And social conventions and rules were challenged and broken through fashion art, protests, and all kinds of imagery, including artists portraying them certain ways. And this also coincided with the New Romantic movement that started in the late 70s out of the London and Birmingham nightclub scene. And this movement was characterized by its flamboyant and eccentric fashion, inspired by glam rock, science fiction, and the romantic period of the late 18th and early 19th century. And because it emerged from the nightclub scene, it has some clear connections to some of the music from this scene as well. Most notably, the genre synth pop. And this genre started through the early 70s as it saw a rise of electronic elements into popular music. And prior to synth pop becoming very mainstream, some other genres were created that used electronic elements. You th can think of genres like disco, crowd rock, post-punk, and new wave. Synthesizers became normalized in music, and Gary Newman's breakthrough in 1979 in the UK meant that synthesizers became normalized in popular music, and other artists started using this instrument, and they were seeing mainstream success as well. And not only in the UK, but also in Japan, where electronic music became more successful. And it saw the introduction of different kinds of synthesizers, but also the TR-808 drum machine. So a lot of these artists that were using these electronic instruments 
were mostly part of the new romantic era, and the synth-pop genre was born. And the genre reached its commercial peak in the winter of 1981 and 82, with artists such as Ultravox, Soft Cell, Depeche Mode, and even electronic music pioneers Kraftwerk. And the popularity of this genre was in part due to another revolutionary moment in pop culture, namely the launch of MTV on August 1st, 1981. And actually the first video that this channel showed was Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. And this is another synth-pop group from England. And the genre of synth-pop became a staple for the channel. And it spread the popularity towards the United States, marking the second British invasion. So let's look how the album was recorded. After the success of their previous record, Sweet Dreams, the Rhythmics went on a world tour, including the United States, where they had scored a number one hit. The duo returned to England, and with another world tour already scheduled ahead, they went back into the studio to record their following album in a very fast pace. And Annie Lennox described the difference between recording their previous album and Touch in a 1984 interview. And she said the following. Touch came after we'd just been to America and we'd just done our tour and we were very fresh and we really felt that when we were in the studio we could see the audience there, we could imagine very clearly an audience. Whereas at Sweet Dreams there was no audience, there was no fans of Eurythmics if you like, nobody knew about Eurythmics. So it was difficult for us to envisage what type of people we were playing to, or who we were playing to, you know. And uh, after we knew, well, we have an audience, you know, people that really like us and are interested and want to know and relate to this music, it was a lot easier for us to, to make the statements. The duo did not spend a very long time recording, and it was done with a very small group in their own studio, church, in northeast London. And the studio was so small that when string arrangements had to be done, the different instrumentalists had to improvise in different parts of the building without hearing each other. And in an interview, David Stewart also reflected on the way that the album was recorded. Quote, It's better to make the album for us in such a fast way, because we've come just off the stage playing live. And we captured that on record. I think a lot of people spend too much time messing around in the studio and this particular album has benefited from that." End quote. And even though their production was kicked up a notch with a better studio, better equipment, they wanted to embrace the simplicity of their previous record, as they believe it would also reflect their sound better. Thus, the album was mostly recorded by the duo, but it does feature just a few musicians that played with them live on tour. The album was fully produced by David Stewart himself and was engineered by John Bavin. 
The cover art is very iconic as it features a picture of Annie Lennox and it was taken by Peter Ashworth. Lennox is seemingly naked on the picture, only wearing a mask and kind of parodying a strongman pose. And in the description, Peter Ashworth said that it was meant to be a contradicting photo of both vulnerability and power. And the picture was actually used on the cover of The Face magazine before it was used on the album cover. So musically, compared to the previous releases, Touch relies much more on Dave Stewart's instrumentals. The sound is however a continuation of the direction that Sweet Dreams took. And it mixes Lennox's R&B voice and vocal sound effects with Stewart's textured compositions. And his synthesizer was somewhat unique to other British synth-pop that used, quote, blowsy ersatz Motown touches. Instead, Stewart incorporates elements that spawn Western music, from 70s pop to chamber music. And the experimentation and interesting style is sometimes compared by critics to The Beatles' Revolver, who really went out of their comfort zone on that record. Some of the songs use fuzzed out guitars, while other tracks conclude with squirrely saxes and weird strings. And the second half of the al album is a bit more artsy, with some interesting takes. So as I said, most of the songs musically rely on textured compositions by Stewart, mostly synthesizers, programmed drums, and somewhat understated guitars. But all those elements can create a very full sound, but also something simplistic and not overproduced. Now the album spawned a few very successful singles. So let's look at the opening track on the album, Here Comes the Rain Again, which was a single as well. And Lennox described this song as a romantic love song about people who know each other so well, they in a way submerge. And there are different stories about how this song came to be, but one of the common threads seems to be that Lennox and Stuart were in a hotel room. Some claim that they had been in a fight, and as Stuart was playing a certain chord progression on his keyboard, Lennox looked outside and uttered the first line of the title of the song. And that's how the idea was created. Now musically, the track starts out with a synth line that's continued throughout all of the song. And it's followed by piano, strings, that were arranged by Michael Kamen. And even though the song feels quite melancholic, the lyrics are actually quite sweet in my opinion. The next track I wanted to highlight is the single Right By Your Side. And this is once again a love song, but in contrast to the previous song, it's actually quite upbeat and sounds kind of happy and carefree. 
the whistles and calypso style music can come off as a bit corny, but nonetheless, it was a successful single. Very 80s, of course. I'm personally not the biggest fan of the music on this song, but I think the vocal performance is very powerful. And I actually quite like the saxophone that you can hear by the end of the song. Now, the very first single that was released even before the album came out is the song Who's That Girl? And this ballad definitely features more prominent electronic elements, reminding me of their previous album. It is less danceable though, and it definitely continues the R&B and soulful trend in Lennox vocals. And the overdubbing of the vocals in the choruses works really well in my opinion. And this followed by the break in the middle of the song is definitely one of my favorite moments on this album. shortened version of the song was used for the iconic music video where you can see Lennox portray both male and female characters while Stewart is escorted by an enclave of different women and most notable in these are his future wife and the gender-bending pop star Marilyn whose appearance proved a very high-profile move which helped lead him to his own musical career later that year. Now, the final song that I'd like to talk about is No Fear, No Hate, No Pain. And this is understandably not a single, but I'd still like to talk about it because it features a lot of experimentation with the instrumentals and Lennox overdubbing on the track. And it really shows her strength as a vocalist, even though it's very untraditional. And thematically, this song is a continuation of the previous track, Aqua, as it references coming down from a trip and the use of heroin, something that's also used in the previous track.
As Touch was released, it became an immediate success through its singles. And the band embarked on yet another world tour. And they saw their audiences grow at these shows. And because of the success that the duo had seen for their previous records, all eyes were on them to deliver again. And so they did. The critics were overwhelmingly positive and liked it even better than their previous album. And Christopher Connolly from Rolling Stone magazine had to say the following about the record. Quote, Despite its excesses, Touch emerges as an uncannily thoughtful album that's direct, without being simple-minded, avant-garde, without being inaccessible. In its finest moments, Touch seemed to offer a synthesis of Beatlesque popcraft and the unsparing intelligence of young Joni Mitchell. In a musical field awash with deep-pocketed cloth horses and horsey soul revivalists, Eurythmics are creating something unmistakably new. Unquote. And in retrospect, this album is also very much liked, as Jose F. Promis of El Music said, quote, The cool, sophisticated musical experimentalism all over touch cemented Eurythmics reputation as one of the most innovative duos of their time. The hit singles solidified their reputation as dependable 1980s hitmakers and MTV mainstays. Touch is a testament to what Eurythmics were at the height of their electronic techno phase and, without doubt, in a milestone in 1980s pop music." Unquote. The album reached number one on the UK Albums chart and number seven on the US Billboard 200 chart and even though the album did not win any official awards, it's often named Eurythmics' best album and is also named as one of the best albums of the 1980s in general. So if you look at some of the releases that came after, just a few months after the release of Touch, Eurythmics released an EP called Touch Dance. And this EP features remixed versions of some of the songs on the album. And it was intended for nightclubs. And Lennox later came out and said that she did not like this release as it was very commercial move of the record label. And it was released with little to no involvement of the actual duo. In the same year, in 1984, the duo actually released a soundtrack album for the movie 1984. And the release and contribution to this movie was paired with some controversy and it actually led to the album being withdrawn from the market for a while. But nonetheless, the single Sex Crime became quite successful. The following years, the band would somewhat move away from their unique synth-pop sound. And instead, the duo created more R&B-inspired band and album-oriented sound. And this remained very successful still. And the single Missionary Man earned them a Grammy. And in 1989, they released the album We Two Are One. This was a big success. And this was also their second album to reach number one on the UK Albums chart. And it kind of returned to their old synth pop sound. And after years of touring and recording, the duo eventually decided to take a break from each other and from Eurythmics music. 
They pursued some solo projects and their personal life. And it also included some more movie soundtracks. This break lasted for about 10 years. And they reunited as one of their old band members passed away. And at the end of the 90s, they went back into the studio. And in 1999, they released the comeback album, Peace. This album was quite successful too. And the proceeds from the tour that came after all went to Greenpeace and Amnesty International. Both causes that the individual members have been actively involved with. After this, the duo has reunited on occasion, including a Beatles tribute concert in 2014 and a benefit concert that was organized by Sting for the Rainforest Foundation Fund in 2019. Officially, the duo is not together anymore, but there's still a possibility they might come back for other reunions, as it was quite recent, and maybe even new work. But there has been no news about that so far. Now, Eurythmics were a part of a very big and influential scene in the United Kingdom that spread across the ocean in the second British invasion. Not only their music has had an impact on other artists, but also the imagery they used and the fashion they wore. The synth-pop genre lost most of its mainstream popularity by the late 80s, but it had a lasting influence on some mainstream music, which now fully incorporated the use of synthesizers. And this also meant that other genres came to be, like house music, post-disco, hip-hop, electronic dance music, basically anything that used electronic instruments in that way. And as they all used those instruments in all different ways, it created a wide array of different artists that became popular in the mainstream. And thus, a lot of different artists that were indirectly influenced by synth-pop and eurythmics. And even recently, there has been quite a renaissance with the use of synthesizers and music inspired by groups like Eurythmics. There's been a whole synthwave movement lately, but there's also some other groups and bands like La Rue, Churches, and the band Arcade Fire, who were inspired by Eurythmics. And the last band I named there, Arcade Fire, their imagery they used during the Reflector era with masks painting on their face is very reminiscent of the album cover from Touch. And that's this week's album. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, please let me know. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends, your family, anyone that they should listen to this if you, uh, if you want to share it. You can also rate the podcast in app in Apple Podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 500albumspod, which is 500albumspod. Or you can email me with your favorite tracks on this album. Uh, any questions you have for me, any suggestions about how I can improve the podcast, uh, and basically anything else, you can send me an email on 500albumspod at gmail.com. And next week we'll be looking at album number 491 which is Born Under a Bad Sign by Albert King. So make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye.